So one of the things I, I almost tweeted out the other day, and, and this is something I do feel, politicians take credit for things all the time that they had nothing to do with, mm-hmm. and they take blame for things they had nothing to do with too. Yep. The problem mm-hmm. is that there's like this myth that, you know, oh, I put you in charge and all of a sudden, like, you know, like you're, you're going to make it better because you're a nice person and the other person's not a nice person. It's like, no, the problem is that you have deep, thorny problems and really ineffective bureaucracies that aren't delivering. Right. And if I put like a, a different person in charge, like you still have a lot of the same problems. And, and so this is one of the big reasons why things are getting so nasty here is that we're all just fed up and frustrated, like values not being delivered. You have these completely impersonal bureaucracies that are just, you know, failing. And then, and, and, we, and we act like it's like, you know why it's failing? Because that person's an asshole. Yeah. And then we put you in charge and then it's like, oh, you mean it's still failing? Oh, shit. <laughs> and then like, and then like you know, I mean, yeah. Philip Howard called us like we're playing you lose, I lose, you lose, I lose while the people lose. Right. Um, and during that entire period, our trust is just going down and down and down and down, <laughs> like down and down. And that's where we are now. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Forward. That's funny, isn't it? <laughs> what we are going to talk about today, I think, has been the dominant piece of news I've seen over the last number of days where there is this big concern, fear, picture that I happen to think is relatively accurate that we are going to see Donald Trump versus Joe Biden in the rematch in 2024. There was an op-ed in the Washington Post a couple of weeks ago saying that this is going to be the matchup and also that there's a concern that our democracy, uh, and this is going to seem hyperbolic to a lot of people, um, but that our democracy may not actually still be in place post-24. And Bill Maher had this very, very widely circulated video about essentially the same topic, that if you think that... Trump's going to come back and play fair and accept results. He won't. And so there's a great chance he wins straight up, but there's a great chance that regardless of whether he wins or loses, he's going to say he won. And that could result in widespread political violence, riots, protests, strife, uh, the next-gen civil war. Uh, what you just said is terrifying. Uh, um, so, But let's break it down. We'll share the video Bill, Bill Maher did like a 15-minute rant last Friday, if you're listening to this, right? Yeah. Yes, and, and most of the things that he said, I co- totally agree with. I mean, some of these things are objective reality, to the extent that a, a reality is an objective thing anymore. But I guess that's one of the major problems. So one of the facts I outline in my book is that our relationship with the media might be the defining element of the political parties at this point, where 69% of Democrats have high trust in media – and only 15% of Republicans do. Right. If you're an independent, it's 36%. So if you have 85% of Republicans who think the media is bullshit, and a lot of those people also think the election stolen, uh, that Trump should still be president fair and square, and then they come back in 24, led by Trump, there's going to be kind of a revenge, just desserts, payback 
motivation for many of them. And then if they're told that Trump wins, regardless of what the vote totals look like, they're probably going to be uh, there to enforce what they see as their guy's rightful victory. So listening to that video is like listening to you off the record. And this is the first time we're talking about it on the record. So he made three predictions. He was like, Trump's going to run for president in 2024. He's going to win the Republican nomination. And the third one is that no matter what happens, he's just going to announce that he won. And the other stats he said was that he'll be backed up by people he's putting in place. And we can talk about that. But also what you just said, two-thirds of Republicans believe the election was stolen. And 21 million believe the use of force is necessary to restore order. Um, and about half Republicans believe we should split from the union or should have two different states of the United States. Um, you know, we, we can talk what about what the heck that would look like. I mean, I have no but idea. Anyway, that what, was like the that, that was the Bill Maher yeah. rant, for sure. So let's break it down in order. Does Donald Trump run again would be the first domino. Mm-hmm. Let's see. He's raised well over $100 million as of a couple months ago. He's having rallies around the country. There's really little reason I can see for him not to run. Yep. The only two things I could see that would keep it from happening are number one, health his health yeah because he is in his mid 70s mm-hmm. though apparently someone told me he's lost some weight lately good for him i guess and then number 2 would be if there is some kind of legal trouble or entanglement uh, that people talk up sometimes that he might be indicted about this and that right. i find it dubious that he's going to wind up in that kind of legal trouble mm-hmm. uh, so in my mind yes he does run again mm-hmm. and so then the second part of the puzzle is does he win the republican nomination right and that seems to be a big yes. Last I saw, he had 65% approval slash support among Republicans who would decide this thing. And of the other contenders, one of them, Nikki Haley, has just said publicly, I will not run against Trump. Mm-hmm. That's one good way to stand is his good side. Mm-hmm. And the, another person said in a private event that I somehow heard about, Ron DeSantis said that he also would not run against Trump if Trump decides to run and Ron's public statements are, you know, make that seem very believable. Right. And so if Trump does run, who would be his opponents in the Republican party? Mike Pence, Chris Christie, Larry Hogan, some other people, TBD, maybe Kasich. I don't know. But the major contenders in my mind of Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis, uh, I do not believe would run against Trump. So if he does run, I think he rolls through the Christie Pence Hogan group <laughs> yeah, and becomes the Republican nominee. Well, it's not like a news cycle is going to derail him or any. There's no, uh, you know, like scandal at this point that's going to change our opinion on Donald Trump. You know what I'm saying? Like what would knock him out? I don't know. Probably not. And that was Bill Maher's point too. He's talking about how the anti-Trump wing of the party has been essentially dismantled and knocked out. Um, and the Republicans should win the midterms. Kevin McCarthy should be Speaker of House if that happens in 2022. Like, he'll have the infrastructure in place to pretty much run, train on the Republican Party. Um, this sounds scary. It is scary. But it's also not that hyperbolic. I think it's pretty... If you break it down, it seems very, very, not just plausible, but likely. Okay. Mm-hmm. So here's another shoe to drop. Donald Trump becomes the Republican nominee. Does he get his social media accounts back? Because at that point, it's very difficult to take them away from someone who's literally the nominee of a major party. Yeah. So he probably gets social media back. 
he's running. And now let's take a step back for a moment to what the political landscape may look like then. Now, it's early days, but the Democratic administration is not doing so great in terms of the public eye, where the last polling I saw put Joe in the low to mid 40s in terms it's of approval low. rating. Yeah, approval ratings are low for Joe Biden and dropping, I mean, by the numbers right now. Now, it happens sometimes before midterms, and like there are some historical precedent there, but it's not great. Well, one of the things, and we can talk about this, where... Uh, so there, it's been a rough number of weeks or months for Joe and the Democrats. Mm-hmm. Um, now, can you imagine them rebounding in a way that everyone's like, oh, this is going great. I mean, let's say they pass uh, the infrastructure bill, they pass reconciliation, a couple of things uh, start going right. I think their numbers could stabilize, but it, it's very difficult for me to imagine like a complete dynamic sea change where uh, I, I think that uh, – uh, I think that there is a vibe uh, that the Dems are giving off that right now they're kind of fractious and mm. uh, and it's not uh, it's not happening for them. I mean, again, it, it could change, but let's play out what's likely to happen in the days to come. There, there's going to be uh, a bit of a, at a minimum, even if things pass, there's going to be a bit of a traffic jam legislatively down the stretch of the end of this year because they're trying to get a lot of things done mm-hmm. and they have to raise the debt ceiling and... and um, uh, avoid default before year end, which is going to complicate life because in the Senate, I don't, and this is an inside baseball thing, but just to, to apprise you of what happened, they punted on it and temporarily raised the debt ceiling until December. But then Chuck Schumer decided to stick his thumb in the eye of every uh, yeah, of Republicans. Yeah. And, and, then, uh, and then Mitch McConnell afterwards was like, well, fuck that. Like, we're not going to play ball with you guys again by year end. And so for the Democrats to elevate the debt ceiling themselves, They'd have to do what's called a budget reconciliation. And apparently that process is a super pain in the neck where one of the things I saw said that it actually will take like two weeks for them to raise the debt ceiling via budget reconciliation because of the technicalities. And I was like, what? So uh, and so you can add that into the traffic jam Mm -hmm. elements. This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy because I figured if I'm going to do something for up to eight hours, maybe I should do it right. And Helix Sleep lets you do it right by sending you one of 20 unique mattresses that's tailored for you. I took the Helix Sleep quiz, takes only a couple minutes, and I was matched with a Helix Dawn mattress because I wanted something that felt firm and I sleep on my back. That mattress is exactly what I needed, but strangely enough, my kids now seek out that mattress in the house and want to sleep on it even though I did not order it with them in mind. If you have a high quality mattress, it is a game changer, a huge difference maker. Don't take my word for it. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It is even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com yang. That's helixsleep.com yang. This is their best offer yet and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. So there's still going to be this 
uh, on this dynamic where you, you don't feel like things are humming out of DC. Next fall is 2022. And traditionally, the in-power party loses 10, 15, 18 seats mm-hmm. in that instance. If you look at the House of Representatives, everyone's up for re-election. And right now, the Democrats have a five-seat edge. I looked at the markets, and then they say there's about a 75% chance that Republicans retake the House. So people see it as very, very likely. Mm-hmm. And I will say I also see it as very, very likely because Democrats lost 12, 13 seats in 2020 yeah. against Trump. Now things aren't humming for Democrats. So logically, like, which way do you think it's going to swing when, again, the in-power party traditionally loses right. 12, 15 seats? Mm-hmm. So then Kevin McCarthy becomes the Speaker of the House circa 2022. Not much is going to happen out of Washington for the next two years because, you know, a dysfunction will be back. Gridlock will be back mm-hmm. in full force. And then Trump's storming back 24. Who do the Democrats run against Donald Trump? I'm assuming they're going to run Joe or Kamala. And if Joe doesn't run, he like would be the heir apparent would be Kamala. Is that I'm assuming that's the common sense amongst the party. Joe Biden pluses incumbent president defeated Trump already. Reasonable case. Mm-hmm. Downsides will be 81 years old at that point. Easily the oldest president to be running for office. Mm-hmm. And his numbers might not be that strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he risks being a visual emblem of kind of a declining establishment. Mm-hmm. I mean that like that that's the risk for Democrats. What you want to do is have someone who's a bit fresher and so you pass the baton to Kamala Harris. Mm-hmm. Problem. Kamala consistently polls 4 to 5 points worse than Joe. Yeah. And Kamala has a similar profile to Hillary Clinton and hear me out on this politically. I'm hearing you out. So Kamala Harris is a blue state senator of a deep blue state mm-hmm. in California. It's very, very TV-oriented state. Mm-hmm. She then runs for president and uh, underachieves, loses, mm-hmm. and then gets appointed by the person who defeated her to a very elevated post. You could use those words on Hillary Clinton or Kamala Harris, and they, they both are correct. And then... When that person decides to run for president, that person struggles in part because they don't have that organic a connection to a lot of people. Like, you know, they're in that position because the person that defeated them appointed them. Mm -hmm. And so then they're they're getting presented as like, oh, you know this person? Like, you love them. And everyone's like, wait, do we love this person? (laughs) Like, like, when did this happen? Mm -hmm. So... Uh, there are other other elements too that make Kamala in, in my mind um, uh, not a slam dunk. Um, you get the sense that there are very different opinions about Kamala from within the Democratic Party. It's not a situation where Hillary Clinton. This is a very big distinction. Hillary Clinton knew everyone in the Democratic Party, and most everyone w- who was a capital E establishment was like, "Yeah, we're doing this Hillary thing." And Kamala doesn't have anywhere near the same level of unanimity. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had a longtime team, but that team has been kind of broken up around her. Mm-hmm. And as she's been put into the White House, she's been surrounded by uh, essentially a subset of Biden folks. Yeah. 
And so if she were to run for president, then it would be uh, a group of people that haven't really been through that many campaigns or wars together. Mm-hmm. Do you think the so curious is how much does race and gender play into her polls dropping from Biden? To me, she's like an establishment de- establishmenty dem, so you'd think the polls would be relatively similar. Uh, now I have other thoughts on Kamala. I didn't think she ran a great campaign. I thought we ran a much more s- savvy and uh, like effective campaign. Um, thoughts on that, or is that looking into it too much? Or um, well, the big thing about her. Uh, race and gender is that it's going to be extraordinarily difficult for anyone to say, you know what, it's not Kamala, it's me, hmm. whoever that person happens to be, if, particularly if that person's a, a white man, um, because then there are the optics of shoving aside mm-hmm. the woman, woman of color, color so right. that you run. So there's there's a, a very big... No one wants to be that guy. Yeah, no, no one wants to be that person. Yeah. If it, you, now, of course, if you are another woman of color, then that dynamic goes away. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I, I And this is a very, very fascinating thing where I, I think if you were to draw it up, Joe even said at one point, I'm the bridge to the next generation. So after Joe gets in there and then Joe passes the baton to his VP, the Democratic Party rallies behind the VP and the VP happens to be a woman of color. And so there would be a group of people that are very excited about that. And the capital B but in this is like, but Kamala consistently pulls worse than Joe mm-hmm. and doesn't really have that powerful and organic connection with like a, a, a lot of right. people and to the extent that she was in the presidential crucible as a candidate it didn't go that well so those right. are your data points then you're looking at it being like okay this seems like a highly highly risky move to consolidate behind Kamala so after Joe and Kamala then you can try and select someone as the next figure but here's the thing the party can't just turn around and appoint Amy Klobuchar or Pete and say, hey, you're going to be our nominee. There'd have to be a competitive primary. Mm-hmm. And then if you have that competitive primary, issue number one is Joe's still there. And then so you could say, well, Joe's like, hey, I'm not going to run again. So go ahead and have a competitive primary. But then Kamala's there. And so if you have a competitive primary, I believe that the Democrats will not want to have a competitive primary, particularly in the face of Donald Trump. And right. so that brings you back to Joe. Mm-hmm. I think it's most likely going to be oh, Joe. God. With the major caveat, again, being health, is that mm-hmm. if you're 81 years old and if Joe does run for president, he'll be the incumbent. And so there's not going to be necessarily like a whole lot of uh, campaigning and travel involved. I mean, you could do right. a lot of it sort of uh, bought from the White House yeah, or TV style yeah. or, or, or whatnot. And maybe you send surrogates around the country. Um, but I, I think that's a difficult. And he does have Air Force One. I mean, you know, it's like, right. I, it's, um, I've never been on, but it seems like a great way to travel. Yeah, it seems pretty nice. Um, so if you map this out, it it's probably Trump versus Biden again. But one of the things that Bill Maher said was that if you dig into it, according to Bill, it's not that important who the Dems run because Trump will either win outright. I don't know if Bill said that, mm-hmm. um, but he'll say he said Trump is going to ignore vote totals and claim victory regardless. Correct. So, and Bill alluded to this too. We, I, look, he said most things we had been talking about and I'm glad we're talking about this. Uh, it feels like 
the Republicans are playing a different game than the Democrats. The Democrats are still in the fantasy world that this is a normal election, that the country's not in crisis, that um, and it's gotten worse. Like we played a different game and had a, a good amount of success when we ran in 2020 because we knew the game had changed and we knew that the traditional that people are angry. There's financial insecurity and distrust across the country. The traditional gatekeeper keepers of political power are they're not broken, but they're cracking. Um, which be it the media or elected officials or go down the list. Um, the Republicans have somewhat figured that out and lined up behind the Donald for better or for worse in many ways for worse. Um, the Democrats are not. They're still like good old Joe. Well, well this is the tough and this <laughs> is one of the, the things I the the Republicans have taken on this anti-institutionalist fervor. Yeah. And it has a lot of power and uh, potency to it because people are looking up saying, yeah, shit sucks. These people are lying. Uh, it's all bullshit. Let's tear it down. Let's break it up. Here's the guy who's going to come and uh, come and represent that um, uh, that group, that set of beliefs. And then the Democrats uh, are defending these fading institutions saying, like, no, it's working. Uh, give us a chance. Um, you're you're awful. You're terrible. Uh, the problem is the institutions do have real problems. Mm-hmm. It was an easier case to make when Trump was in charge. Say, hey, put us in charge, then things will go well. And then now there's going to be this vibe. It's like, well, you are in charge, and I'm not loving life. Like you know, life still kind of sucks. So it, it if you look at the anti-institutionalist fervor versus the de- defend the fading establishments, uh, I it's hard to imagine the latter prevailing uh, decisively uh, or in perpetuity. You know, I mean, right now the pendulum's just swinging back and forth and people are just pissed off. And and this time they're going to be pissed off at the party mm-hmm. in power. So the Democrats are going to be casting about for an option, maybe, or maybe they're just going to settle on Joe, depending I'm going to just throw out a, a figure just because I was thinking about who, if I were the Democrats, I would consider running. But again, you can't choose the person. They have to go through they a competitive primary yeah. and the whole thing is like, you know, it, it, it's... Uh, Who's your pick? Who's your dark horse? My dark horse <laughs> is Senator John Ossoff from Georgia. Wow. Because he's young, he's social media savvy, uh, he's freaking clean as a whistle, that guy. Like, you know, like that. there's really not much... Um, like he 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 hasn't been around the system long enough to uh, really ha- have much, developed yeah. that much. He reminds me a bit of Obama when he first ran, where he'd been a senator for like one two years, and mm-hmm. then people were like, oh, it's too much too soon, and then we're like, ah, we kind of like this guy. Yeah. Like that would be the kind of dice roll I would consider making if I were the Democrats. But again, you can't just choose that. Uh, you know, you'd have to go through a competitive primary. I have no idea if John would decide to run, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm just like throwing out there like variables hmm. um, because most people when they think about the Democrats they're only going to think about the folks who ran for president last time Stacey Abrams think she makes a play Stacey Abrams I think she, she'd have to win her race in 22 and then I don't think it's uh, I don't think she can just turn around and, and run yeah. um, from Georgia in, in 23 in that way it's sort of easier if you're already in, in like DC I think uh, but hey you know uh, who knows um if you were the Dems, I would consider looking around a, a little bit, <laughs> yeah. I suppose. But again, the dynamics cut very, very heavily against that mm-hmm. because Joe's going to be the incumbent. 
Kamala is the logical next person. Uh, and you're, you're going to start with those two, probably Joe. So I guess this is the question. You kind of answered this, but I'm curious. Like what? So Bill painted a, a dark picture, right? He talked about the one of the things that Trump has been doing for one of the first times in his career is like behind the scenes, because <laughs> you normally in front of camera, uh, setting up the infrastructure so that he can win no matter what. In this, he's set, toppling right? secretaries of state right. in various red states who didn't just find votes for him or certify uh, results. Right. So apparently, thirteen of fifteen Republican secretaries of state in battleground states of those, um, or of the fifteen, only two concede that Biden actually won. There's thirteen of them that are just said Trump won. So that's like what we're talking about, and he'll theoretically and most likely call on them in 2024. If you're the Democrats, what do you do? And I think you're saying they should have the open primary um, and start looking into the bench because this doesn't look good. To me, these people are established. So if they're not beating Trump now, it's not going to – I don't see it getting like – if you're looking at the polls in 2022, 2023, I don't see it in a world where it gets better by election day. I don't know what you think. All right. Uh, and so this was also Bill's point, which I agree with, is like, look, um, you're going to be arguing about the wrong things. Mm-hmm. And even just now, I doubled down on arguing about the wrong things, which is like swapping candidates. Like yeah, it, it probably, yeah, correct. It probably doesn't matter in the sense that the vote totals may not matter. Um, what, what's mm-hmm. going to matter is whether the machinery of our democracy actually ha- has the credibility with a critical mass of people to send everyone home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... It probably will not uh, if the quote unquote like, you know loser or opponent just refuses to accept results, and there are tens of millions of people who are with that person, mm-hmm. uh, and and that's what happens when you have a collapse of trust in a society. Correct. I mean, there just needed to be more trust. So, if you are the Democrats, what do you do to try and prevent calamity? Uh, the single best thing you can do is to federalize. Uh, some aspects of this election security and integrity. Mm-hmm. And this, there, are, there are bills that are on the table right now to do this. And they are running aground of the U.S. Senate and the filibuster rules, where right now all of the Dems are into them, except they can't get through a filibuster. They don't have the votes. And, and so in order to pass some of this election integrity stuff, you would need for Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin to actually say, yes, we're going to waive the filibuster just to protect our elections. And there are a lot of people that very much want them to do this. Another possibility is that 10 Republican senators like Mitt Romney and the crew stand up and say, you know what? I'm actually going to go with the Democrats in terms of election, election security, integrity right, and security. Right. Uh, so in other words, what you do is you take the results uh, um, and have some kind of national verification uh, and standard as opposed to just leaving everything um, to local authorities. Uh, And this, you'd think, I don't know if you're listening to this and thinking like, I I totally think we should do this. Um, I'm going to share something that's not public knowledge, but I'm going to share it. I was actually with Kirsten Cinema, not with, but like, you know, in in the same place uh, last week. And she was asked directly, hey, what do you think about this issue? And she said that, you know, the the filibuster is not something that she is going to uh, break, uh, even for election integrity. So it it seems like you are left looking for 10 Republicans. So 
when you talk about federalizing our elections or federally protecting our elections, how is that instead of giving it to local authorities, local states to administer elections and ballots, things like that, that's giving the power to the federal government? How does that work? So what you want to have at the state level is nonpartisan officials who essentially say, yeah, this is what the result was. Right. And at least in some of these states, they're saying, no, let's, let's give it to the state legislators to decide what the election result was, which I'm going to suggest is probably not the way you want to go. It's like, you know, because right. you don't want Democrats. Saying yeah. Who's more political than the freaking right. like literally like the political actors? Yeah. If there's people paid to be nonpartisan, that does tend to work or, you know, or a lot of our even the volunteers are very, very strict. Um, so anyway, so what, what there is, is uh, in a proposal that's in the Senate right now, they want to establish federal protections to insulate nonpartisan state and local officials who can administer federal elections and, and not get bullied. Uh, Insulate, which, how does that work? Probably means they can't get fired. Got it. So, Oh, yeah, you're working for a Republican Secretary of State, pressuring you a certain way. Yeah. Got it. So that, I, w- I, you know, I think is pretty common sense. Okay. Again, you don't want folks whose jobs uh, depend upon them uh, saying Taking a certain a result happened. Team. Yeah. Um, so this is something that you want to have passed. Uh, and right now it's running aground of the filibuster and the fact that we have this duopoly where this seems somehow partisan. <laughs> and, and because if you're a Republican senator, you're looking at this and then if you vote for it, even though I'm going to suggest it is pretty common sense and if you believe in democracy, you should be like, sure, like, let's right. just not... But I'm uh, sure the progressives or some far left wing of the party will throw something in there that ticks off the right, and then you could turn it down without, you know, for on basis of that and not everything else. I mean, there's a million reasons in the duopoly why people end up turning down rational bills on a high level, at least. Yes. So that's the situation. There are all these calls now in the national media to try and exhort moderate Republicans to get with the program and try and protect our elections. Right. I agree with this. Uh, I think that we should. Uh, there was an op-ed in the Washington Post that was essentially begging some Republicans to do this. Mm. There's a new New York Times uh, story about Republicans saying we should support Democrats in some cases uh, if it's going to help the country uh, survive during this time. They're essentially never Trumpers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they say they were considering starting a third party, which sounds familiar, but they, they decided to go with this direction. Um, so if I were the Democrats... Uh, what I would be doing, and the thing is Democrats can't do this, which is one reason why the Ford Party is necessary and why we're going to do it or uh, push the resources necessary to hopefully get this done. But w- what, so the, the problem Democrats have, there, I mean, there are a lot of problems, but like the, the systems aren't strong enough and Democrats try and cast this as like defeating Republicans. And there, there are two issues. Number one, you may not be able to defeat them uh, in the right places via just vote totals. And number two, it may not matter. Mm. So those are the two things you want to try and get right. And too many Democrats just stay fixated on number one. They just think like, you know, what it is is we just have to defeat them more soundly, give us more money, give us more votes. And it's like, okay, you may be missing the point. Mm. And by the way, that plan might not even work because and you, know, you just might not get uh, as many votes as the other other, right. other side. So when you look at number two, how do you make the system and the structure more genuinely resilient and representative and lowercase d democratic, like actually responsive mm-hmm. to the will of the people. So that's where something like open primaries and ranked choice voting would come in. And to me, this is where we should be running, 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 not walking to say, look, we've got 
one cycle, 2022, to try and make real changes in a system that would enable a critical mass of legislators to have some genuine independence and be able to act on principle or patriotism and not partisanship. Right. So let's try and lighten up the partisan motivations as quickly as possible. And we can actually do it if we were to pass ballot initiatives in a number of states. In a way, the problem Bill Maher identified was what you've been trying to solve for since starting that third, since starting Forward Party. For an entire 10 days. Yeah, that's no, true. No, for, yeah. I mean, I've been, you know, working on different this, things for a long time. This is part of the problem. Like, the problem you identified in your book is actually what Bill Maher is talking about. Like, this is how this plays out, which is a form of a civil war. Well, we have a, a very, very fragile system. And this is one of the things I want to convey to folks is that our founding fathers, if they woke up, they would be shocked and horrified that we have this terrible, terribly dysfunctional duopoly because it's so vulnerable. If you have an authoritarian leader who takes control of one of the major parties, all of a sudden there are no safeguards because the founding fathers never imagined a party at this scale uh, and they wouldn't think that everyone would just fall in line, but that's where all their political incentives are to fall in line. If you Mm -hmm. don't fall in line, you lose your job. Mm -hmm. So the path out would be to make it so that you don't just have two parties, you have five parties, you have seven parties, like Germany, where then if one party loses its shit, it's a problem, but it's not an existential problem. Like, that's what you want to do. You want to try and make the system more resilient. So in a way, it'd be like very zen-y. Now, Democrats don't think this way, but they should, is that if you look at and say, hey, what's the problem? Okay, I think this a uh, guy's coming and, and he's a jerk and uh, it's going to be terrible if he wins. So let's defeat him. It's like, well, it's not quite the problem. It's like, yeah. okay, let, let's try and make it so that the system is more dynamic, more representative. Partisanship doesn't govern. Republicans and Democrats alike uh, would be able to actually exercise their judgment more. Third party, fourth party would emerge. Uh, th- this is like a democracy reform package. And the problem is that Democrats, because they're partisans, don't think in terms of democracy reform. Right. They think just in terms of, of just beat the other team. Do you think we have enough time to do this? And if not, is the best thing we can do is to have more people primary or enter the Democratic primary? Or, you know, you know if we don't, let's say you don't get enough third-party representation or open primaries and local elections oh, so by the, the, 2022. So this is where it kind of gets interesting. So the, the number one is trying to make the system more resilient and dynamic and sustainable. And we have one election cycle to do it. Right. So in an ideal world, we pass open primaries and ranked choice voting and, and let's call it, I'm going to be ambitious and aggressive, eight states. Yep. And then all of a sudden you have 16 senators who look up and be like, hey, I can actually do what I want now because I, I don't need to go through the hyper-partisan 20% uh, right. Republican primary uh, or Democratic primary, uh, I can appeal to the broad population. Right. At that point, I think you'd see a lot more people interested in election integrity uh, and sure. whatnot because it would seem less... Uh, partisan? Yeah, less partisan. Right. So that, that's that, plan number one. That's plan number one. Plan number two. Let's say we get two states, not enough senators. Yes. Uh, or you know, I mean, or none. I mean, yeah, or none. Realistic. Yeah, yeah, really, really. This is hard. This is hard I work. Mean, yeah, like, like a grand total of one has ever happened. So you know, like yeah. you, you hope you get 
some non-zero number, but zero is a possibility. So let's prevent that. Forwardparty.com. Let's go get it. Let's try and push some of these states across the finish line. So let's just play out the 24 scenario. And uh, it, it really does raise a specter of something very, very rough approaching that time. Because you can imagine Trump having these dark rallies around the country and then the Democrats. Potentially um, violent rallies, yeah. Yeah, poten- potentially violent rallies. Uh, and so one of the things I'm going to suggest to the world is that you have Democrats representing the fading establishment. You have Republicans representing this anti-institutional fervor. And what you want is you still want a dynamic change. Right. You want someone to result... Uh, you want someone to represent the rejuvenation of institutions... Like a positive outsiderness, mm-hmm. like bene- positive populism in a way. Right? Yes, positive populism, benevolent transformation, mm-hmm. something where you don't pretend that the institutions are working or that they're somehow going to uh, reform themselves. So you're like a positive reform movement right. that can absorb at least some of the uh, energy out there, like provide a different path and course and narrative, but also absorb some of the anti-institutional energy and channel in a positive way. Right. Now, and, and this is one thing that does drive me a little bit nuts where, you know, start the forward party and like, what's the number one thing? Yang, you're going to fuck it up. You're going to like get Trump elected. <laughs> da, da, da. It's like, well, there's so many things that I have to unpack about this. Number one, we're focused on 2022. Mm-hmm. So let's try and get that done. Uh, but then there's like this, the, then if you do fast forward to 24, and I'm not saying that, uh, that I'm going to run necessarily but if you look at two candidates, average or, or average age between the two of them, I think it would be 78 years old. Joe will be 81. Trump will be 77. So it would be 79, I guess. Uh, you know, I do think that there's going to be a real gap in the market. <laughs> yeah. Like, like I think if someone were to run in a, um, from a third party, I think they'd start out with 10, 15%, something along those lines pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm going to suggest that that might not be something you mind if you're the Democrats, because I think the Democrats might have like a really tough position that they're defending. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like where if you and so this is one of the things where you like shake your head where like Democrats seem to think that like every vote comes from them. You know, and it, it's like at this point, there are a lot of people who are unhappy that are looking for an alternative. And if you had. Let's say I'm just going to throw, throw this out there like a Mark Cuban figure. I think he gets a ton of votes. Mm-hmm. And I think he gets a ton of votes from people who were going to vote for Trump otherwise. Right. Um, whoever runs, I think, will probably be more anti-Trump than anti-Biden. Not sure. But that tends to be, I think, Schultz and Bloomberg and Cuban, the types that have explored this, probably lean that way. Um, so who knows? But that is the plan. Um no, is there is there a third option that the Democrats start doing better, <laughs> like getting like their approvals are up and they actually can win because the majority of American people are satisfied with the job performance? Oh yeah, I I think that that's possible, but I'm not optimistic, and here's why. I, th- so there was a, a Politico journalist who said something that really stuck with me. He said that we're there's a danger we're entering this postmodern era of politics where. It doesn't really matter what I do. It just matters what people are hearing in their partisan spin bubbles Mm -hmm. where you like to believe that facts on the ground will influence how people feel and how people vote. 
and unfortunately, I think we're in like a, an era where that might not be as true as you'd hope. Right. Like a lot of uh, the feelings and messages that people have are getting filtered through the media in various ways. And uh, I think people are developing a sense of this administration and that even if a bunch of legislation gets passed, like that, that, that the dynamic wouldn't necessarily revert. I mean, could things get better for Democrats? Of course. Mm-hmm. Like these elections are a long way away. A lot of things can happen. There are a lot mm-hmm. of variables. Um, but at, at this point, and this is one of the reasons why the forward party is so important, is that the polarization is so extreme that you're not trafficking in facts anymore for a lot of people. Like they're just, you know, I, hey, I'm pissed off. This shit sucks. Like who's in power? Vote, the, vote these bums out. You know, like I, I gave them a chance and that, you know, it, mm-hmm. it's not like, like that's the way a lot of people feel. Even with this child tax credit, which, by the way, I love. I love, love, love the child tax credit. It's the best thing the government's done ever. Um, that like there are a lot of people that don't realize uh, who to thank, which in this case, that that was 100 yep. percent Dems like like the Dems freaking pass that thing. Um, and so if I were the Dems, I would be jumping up and down every 15th of a month saying, you know, that check you're getting like, that's us. That's us. Yep. Like every freaking month, if I were Joe Biden, I'd be like, it's the child tax credit. Like, it's us. Love it. Yep. Every rep have an event in your community. Find some recipient, which is not going to be hard because they're like 70 million Americans that are benefiting from it. Just find someone who's getting the child tax credit. Just hammer that message. Say like, this is us. This is us. Uh, yeah. but, but right now, like that sort of communication is not happening. And I, I think that there, there is like a, a real, uh, negativity that's setting in. Right. Uh, Politico and morning consult came out with a poll the other day it had less than 40% of respondents of this poll said that the child tax credit had a major impact on their lives of the, you know, those that have received it. And then half of them, 47% credited the Democrats for passing it, but only 38% credited Joe Biden, uh, that disconnect, no one really knows. I mean, there's many people who speculate. No one really knows why. It's probably, to your point, these either partisan spin bubbles or disinformation bubbles that are everywhere, but on both sides. Um, they should be hammering this message. Yeah. You know, Joe, again, 15th of every month, just stand up there, give a speech, be like, with some families, be like, got the child tax credit. Yeah. Love it. Best thing I've done. Love it. That's you know, get that 38% up. Get it up to, yep. you know, above 50. And then you have a oh. better argument. But this is like... So one of the things I, I almost tweeted out the other day, and, and this is something I do feel, politicians take credit for things all the time that they had nothing to do with, mm-hmm. and they take blame for things they had nothing to do with too. Yep. And, and so that, that's really what's happening in a lot of these lights. Like, you look at the mess on the border, I mean, the, the, these awful scenes, and people are like, oh, Trump's gone, and the border will get better. It's like the, the border is a mess regardless of who's in charge. Like they can't recruit people to actually work in the US Border Patrol because by the way, it's like the shittiest job in the world in the middle of nowhere that pays less than other federal jobs. And oh, by the way, what are you doing? Like corralling, uh, you know, migrants who are coming in. It's like, does that sound like a job that, you know, like you burn out on it, like, (laughs) uh, you know, (laughs) like a minute. And so then you put Joe in charge and everyone's like, what? There are still problems there? You know, <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, of course there are going to be problems there. It's like, like the problem mm-hmm. is that there's like this myth that, you know, oh, I put you in charge and all of a sudden, like, you know, like you're, you're going to make it better because you're a nice person and the other person's not a nice person. It's like, no, the problem is that you have deep, thorny problems and really ineffective bureaucracies that aren't delivering. Right. And if I put like a, a different person in charge, like you still have a lot of the same problems. And, and so that, that's why 
it, this is one of the big reasons why things are getting so nasty here is that we're all just fed up and frustrated like values not being delivered you have these completely impersonal bureaucracies that are just you know failing and then and, and, we, and we act like it's like you know why it's failing because that person's an asshole yeah and then we put you in charge and then it's like oh you mean it's still failing oh shit <laughs> and then like and then like you know i mean yeah. philip howard called this like we're playing you lose i lose you lose i lose while the people lose right um and during that entire period our trust is just going down and down and down and down, you know, like down and down. And that's where we are now. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, the big antidotes to this are multipolar political system, open primaries, ranked choice voting, and then universal basic income because I can actually deliver that. Mm-hmm. I can get you the check. I can't make these shitty bureaucracies work better overnight, but mm-hmm. I can get you that money in your account. You know, we, we have to start being honest and stop bullshitting about what we can and can't do. Let me ask you this. I don't know if there's a better, I don't think there's a better example of this. So Donald Trump in 2016, what did he run on? Build the wall, drain the swamp, essentially, right? And then maybe you could argue like a middle finger to the political Lock her up. Yeah, anti-Hillary, right? When he was in power with a Republican House and Senate, right, didn't really pass much, a pass uh, a tax cut for the rich, um, and they kind of rolled back some Obamacare stuff. They stacked really. a lot of courts. They love they that. Stocked, well, they did the courts, true, um, which is a big thing. Um, but we didn't build the wall, really. Still issues on the border. Definitely didn't drain the swamp. That's and we definitely didn't drain the swamp. If you can argue, it got swampier, it got swampier right? Um However, his approval ratings have gone up since he left. He still has this massive army. People still think he won. He got more votes in 2020. I think to your point earlier that the facts on the ground don't matter. I think that's kind of where we're at, right? And and this is one of the things that I, and I say this in my book because I was right adjacent to these races where he got a ton more votes in districts around the country uh, where, again, Republicans picked up 12 seats. Uh, and so this is one of the things where I saw and was like, oh, my gosh, like there's like this rising enthusiasm mm-hmm. for him. And I thought that going into November 2020 that Trump was at his worst, like COVID was yeah. beat up and it just seemed like, you know, like this is totally the wrong guy for the job. Uh, and despite that, he got millions more votes. I think he got 75 million votes. And there were states he was supposed to get stomped in. He did not. He either almost won or did win, Pennsylvania being one of them. Um, a lot of the swing states, he was super close, even if he didn't win it. Yeah, and, and this really had an impact on me where, like, the forces are rising on that side. Uh, and I, I do think that this period uh, is going to make many – it's going to dispirit a lot of Democratic voters, I, I you know, uh, and it's it's going to energize people who – are still angry, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and there is like a, you and I are sports fans, mm-hmm. you know, the entire a guy gets traded and he comes back and plays for, against his old team. Mm-hmm. And there's like always the revenge. Yeah. Attitude. And, and when that happens, it does, it might the only one who thinks that that player tends to overperform. Like, Oh yeah. Take it off, it's like, a, it's and, like the guy who gets breaks up or gets dumped and then, you know, loses 20 pounds and gets in shape and fixes his hair and just looks like, you know, it's also, like oh, this sounds kind of personal. I'm kidding. 
so I mean, Trump. Was, you're just saying though, right? Break up, like you're. Yeah, okay, okay. Okay. <laughs> oh no, no, no. I was, I was, I was kidding, man. I mean, yeah, man. We get all, back on the market. We, we've been there. <laughs> uh, Trump's going to have that kind of payback energy, right? Yeah. Um, and so were his supporters. Yeah. Um, that felt like they were robbed. It's what well, my fear is. Um, what starts happening in practice? Um. Because there's stuff I've always like leaned a little more conservative on. I, I think free markets and government are, are usually better than whatever government bureaucracy or over, too many rules are created. But then you look at the Texas abortion law and some of the things that the Republicans, when in power, start doing, and you're like, I mean, there's no way to look at that law. There's even like decently conservative Republicans are like, that law's fucked up. Um, and that's my fear of what this starts happening because I don't think Trump has a grip on that. Um, don't have a grip a lot of things i think but um you know like that's where i think this play that's what we're i think fighting for it's like these kind of backwards policies that end up getting passed when you end up with that party in charge and not um let's call it strong leadership at the top well we we may be in position to find out if we don't see something that changes the dynamic um you thinking in 22 or 24 like 24 if they were to assume power or are you thinking in states around the country so i think it's it's both, right? Like Bill Maher was talking about how you'll have, it's like the ripple effect of this. It's not just the presidency. You've got Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan gov- governor races all happening, which mean, and he predicts two of those will go red, um, which means when a gov- when a re- when there's a red governor, that usually means you have state legislators and House and Senate seats going red as well. They usually follow the top of the ticket like that. Um, and then you end up, I don't know. I think on a congressional level, it looks like 2022, you'll probably end up with just dysfunction and like the kind of gridlock again. But if you end up with this Trump movement again, I don't know. And then what happens in 2028? Um, Things seem to be getting worse, not better. So one thing we didn't talk about is the composition of the U.S. Senate. So 75% chance approximately, according to the markets, that Mm -hmm. Republicans retake the House in 22. Right now, the Senate's tied 50-50. Mm-hmm. The Senate map is not bad for Democrats in 22. There is a real chance that they stay tied, uh, lose one seat, gain one seat. Like It's around that order of magnitude uh, for Democrats in 22. 24, uh, then the, the dynamic is a bit tougher. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you know it's gonna, going to be during a national election, so it's unclear. Right. Um, but th- this is so the, the one of the things I, I'd, I'd say, and this is funny because like I'm an optimistic, upbeat guy. I'm can do like, you know, trying okay. to make positive things happen. You know, to try and strengthen the system and re- increase our reasonableness and um, or reward uh, folks who are, you know, like a, a, avoiding um, like, you know, insane positions and the rest of it. <laughs> but the 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 problem uh, we have to grapple with is that like our our institutions are corroding and we're at a point in american life where everything is possible and when i mean that i generally mean that negatively it's like whatever dark crazy scenario you can imagine it is on the table yeah. uh, you know you should take it very very seriously yes and if you doubt that, then just rewind over the last number of months and think about the darkest things that you have seen happen here in America. And many of those things would have been unthinkable just X months prior. Mm-hmm. You know, January 6th, uh, mm-hmm. 
the violence of the preceding year, uh, George Floyd dying before our eyes, like, you know, pandemic, obviously. Old Asian like, women beat up on the street in New York City. Yeah, just... Uh, so, so like, like the pro, like any unthinkable stuff you can imagine, is on the table. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things I'm going to suggest is that everything could be on the table positively, too, if enough of us got together. Like people say, like, oh, Ford Party, Third Party can't happen. It's like, well, 62% of people want an alternative, so if enough of us get together, like we can probably do something that's never been done before. Universal basic income impossible. It's like, well, at this point, like two thirds of Americans want that too. And like, yep. we only have versions of it. Like good things can be done also much more quickly than people imagine. But right now the prevailing forces are leading us towards right. like incredibly negative things happening. Everything should be on the table that maybe that that could be a takeaway from today is that everything should be on the table. And when you look at 2024 and you just think, Oh, like this person, when that person, when Bill Maher and others, Robert Kagan and others are correct that this actually could be unprecedented uh, and not follow the script at all in terms of people staying at home and saying, okay, that's what happened, and then uh, going on with their lives the next day. You sound like Tristan Harris, who said the internet is the ability to create utopia and dystopia like that, and it's it's deciding which way we go. and your point, and we've learned this, we've all learned this, is that it happens, it's going to happen way faster than things normally happen, right? You get a massive, massive change in a matter of months and years and not, you know, decades and centuries in, in, in ways. So, yeah, just got to use it for the good. Got to use yeah. this, this time acceleration factor for the good and not just the bad. So, podcast of action, number one, forwardparty.com. Yes. Which you're doing a lot of, and it's a ton of the local work, which I, I'm like a fan of. And two, you're on Bill Maher next Friday. I am, but I'm going to Chicago, Atlanta, Denver, California. SF, LA. That's it. Eventually, Iowa. Iowa. You're on the road. Yang's on the road. Yeah. Um, So that's what you're – we're not just – I just don't want this podcast isn't one where we just complain on it all the time. We can complain with action around it. Yeah, I, I don't have it in me to just be like, oh, someone do that and then go and you, <laughs> you know, don't. like, like no, chill out. Don't. Because especially now, because I'm someone who actually might be able to move the needle on these issues right. to a higher degree, which I thank everyone who's listening to this or watching this because you make it so. Uh, but yeah, like there aren't that many people who, who can help modernize things to a point where we can get through this time and I, I believe I can help so I'm going to do my best so yeah we're just not talking it man we're trying to walk the walk here we are alright guys thank you for tuning in forward ho forward forward we need like an exit music so we can outro. Outro. outro hit that outro outro baby 